Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 125. Stephen's boot heels sounded loudly as he pushed into a small, squalid room near the rear of the barracks. Hunched silently in a dark corner, its occupant turned. A man who was filthy and covered with sores. Come, Morgan. Stephen threw the door wide open. Your moment is here again. I need to make use of your talents. You are still a knight, are you not? The dishonored knight slowly lifted his muscular frame off the floor. Tattered, soiled cloth still hid the spot where the lance had pierced his side, and the tiny cubicle reeked of putrefaction. I'm here to serve you, my liege. Good, Stephen said. You must air this place out. Your hygiene is odious anyway, Morgan. But these days, a latrine will smell less foul. It is unavoidable, my liege. The stench keeps the memory of my wound awake in my mind, and the lowly bastard who gave it to me. I'm glad your memory is fresh, Stephen said, for if God grants, you'll have a second chance for vengeance. The toffer's eyes lit up. Each breath I force myself to take is in hope of such a moment. How? Events, larger than you can contemplate, bring the fool back to me. The fool? He comes to Bore? You know this? Do you think I will soil these boots in this pit of infection for any other reason? Now get up. I will have the physician mask that stench. The toffer pulled his war tunic off the floor, still torn and bloodstained at the spot where the jester's lance had ripped through. He moistened his lips the way a famished man would awaiting, impatiently, a fresh roast. The thought of vengeance has made you alive again, warrior, Stephen grinned. His instincts have been good. He had been right to save this drooling beast and not lop off his head when he crawled back without the lance. I will gut him, the toffer said, grinding his teeth, and let my swords drip into his wound so we may die knowing the contagion he inflicted on me. That's the spirit. Stephen slapped him on the shoulder, then looked at his own hand with distaste. He leaned close to the wounded warrior, as if they were drinking mates, then dug the hilt of his own sword sharply into Morgan's side. He gasped. This time, make sure you come away with the lance, Stephen sniffed. But first, there's other work to be done, Stephen said, returning to his earlier tone. In your absence, all sorts of scum have come to Bore. That's why I need you. Who else am I to trust? Just tell me what you need done. Good, Stevens looked brightened. That's what I hope to hear. You seem like a man who could use some entertainment, Morgan. 
How about we order some up? Let us call upon the jester, Norbert. You know Norbert, don't you, Morgan? Why don't we see if we can prod him to make us laugh? Morgan nodded, and Stephen knew he understood perfectly. It wouldn't matter whose blood was on his blade, as long as it led to the fool. And Morgan, Stephen said as he departed the filthy room, as long as it's a party, why don't we ask along the Lady Emily? Chapter 126 I had traveled in the forest for two days, riding during light until my back ached. Then, once it was dark, curling up in the brush, my mind racing as I drifted off to a troubled sleep. I dwelled on many things. The friends I had left behind. Emily's safety. What I would do when I got to Boré. Still two days ride away. I had just finished a few bites of bread and cheese that morning and was preparing to go on my way when I became aware of the slow advance of a rider approaching from behind. I ducked behind a tree and took out my knife. Gradually, a single rider clip-clopped into view. A churchman, a friar perhaps, covered in his burlap hood, riding by himself through dangerous woods. I relaxed and stepped out from my cover. You must be either foolishly brave to chance these woods alone, father, I called to the advancing shape, or just as foolishly drunk. The churchman stopped. That's an unusual warning, he replied from under his hood, coming from a man in a patchwork skirt. To my shock, the voice was familiar. He lifted his hood, and I saw it was Father Leo, with the smile the width of his face. What are you doing here, I exclaimed. I thought a man on a mission like yours might need his soul tended to, he sighed, struggling to get off his mount. I hope you don't mind. Mind? I'm delighted to have the company, old friend. I knew it was a risk, the priest said, brushing dust off his robe. Truth is, it's taken me so long to find a true sign from God, I couldn't bear being separated from the lance. I laughed and helped him brush off the road dirt. You look tired, Father. Drink. I handed Father Leo my calfskin and he tilted it back. We'll make quite an army when we get to Boré, I smiled. The fool and the priest. Yes, the priest said and wiped his mouth. Very imposing. I knew we would frighten no one, so I hoped you don't mind that I asked a friend along. A friend? From down the road, the hoofbeats of another rider could be heard. And as he came close, I blinked twice and realized it was Alphonse. The lad trotted up to me, dressed for battle. He flashed me a shy, awkward smile. You two are crazy, I said. Dressed as you are, marching to attack the castle of Bore alone, and you call us crazy? muttered Father Leo. Well, now we are three fools, I grinned. My heart warmed. No, Alphonse sniffed and shook his head. No, we are not. Got anything good to eat? Another voice called from the forest. Anything sounds good after these squirrels and lizards I've been chasing. Odo. I looked at the smith, dressed in his leather armor, carrying his mallet, one of Baldwin's purple and white cloaks slung around him. I knew you must be behind this, I said, attempting to look stern. Nah, Odo grinned. He indicated with his head. It was him. Behind him, the miller thrashed his way out of the woods. I told you this was my fight, I protested, feigning anger. You also told us we were free, Otto shot back, so I figured this is my choice. I faltered. I put you in charge, Georges. I left you with Baldwin and 400 men. So you did, didn't you? The miller winked. 
From down the road, the heavy rumble of footsteps now rose in my ears. Many people, marching. From around the bend, the first of them came into view. Ills Aloise from Morrissey and three of his townsmen carrying their axes and shields. The column grew. Aloise's four turned into forty, then forty more. Faces I recognized from Morrissey, Moulin Vieux, Sir de Gavre. Some on horses, others on foot. Their faces rugged, silent, proud. A lump caught in my throat. I didn't speak. They kept coming, line after line. Men who still believed in me, who had nothing left but their souls. Then, on a pale stallion, bound like a sack of wheat, I saw Baldwin and a shadowling close behind. I could not believe what I was seeing. They all came? All four hundred? He shook his head. Four hundred and four, Aloise grinned. If the Freemasons come along. Odo said to me, we figured if our soldier fucked anyway, what do we have to lose? My heart almost exploded with pride. I stood there watching the column grow and grow, feeling the common heart of these men. Some called out to say hello. Hey, General, good to see you again. Others simply nodded. Many I did not know by name. When the end of the column came in sight, it was trailed by four scruffy men hurrying to keep up, hoisting a white banner with an eye painted on it. The sign of the Freemason Society. I thought they were joking. All that time, like literally, I, I know I've read these words before, but reading it now, it just really struck me that the Freemasons really were coming along. Like, I just thought that was a joke this whole time. I mouthed thank you to Odo and George's. The words sticking in my throat. Let me see if I can mouth it to where y'all will hear it. Hmm? Hmm? Let's try it again. <clears throat> Turn it up real quick. I, 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 that's how you mouth thank you. Again, if you mouth olive oil, it sounds like you're saying I love you. I wanted to tell them how proud I was of them, of everyone. I merely put my hand on the miller's shoulder. I guess we're going to Boray, Odo said with a shrug, and I nodded, watching a column as it stretched down the road. You better have a real plan if you want to take this place, he muttered. Chapter 127 just as it had happened weeks before when we marched on Triel, at every village we came to, every crossroads, people joined our ranks. Our fame had spread, and it was embarrassing. Certainly, it was humbling. Farmers in their fields, carpenters, goat herds with their flocks, ran to their fences to see a lore-like Baldwin bound behind a fool. How can you continue on? People asked in wonder. Stephen has damned your very souls. He might as well, we called back, since that's all we have left. Once again, I marched to the front in my tattered jester suit, carrying the holy lance. But this time, the army was properly outfitted. We had real swords and newly minted shields taken from Baldwin's men and painted them in the green and red checkerboard that had become our crest. We also had crossbows and catapults to mount a siege, oxen, and stores of food to sustain an entire army. You cannot take Bore, some mocked us. A thousand men cannot take Bore. We cannot take Triel either, Odo replied huffily. We trust the lance, Alphonse would say. It is truer than any bishop's judgment. New recruits fell constantly in the line. 
I'll come. This is a new world if a lord's being dragged by a fool. Young and old knelt before the lamps and fell in. Yet, even as we marched, I knew this new battle would not be as easy as the last. Stephen would never let our ragtag army approach without a fight. He had a much larger and fiercer army than Baldwin. Better trained. He himself was known to be a formidable fighter. And to be sure, I was no general. The only military skills I had were those I picked up in the crusade. Nor did George's, or Odo, or any of my other men have any tactical training. They were farmers and woodsmen, and old worry began to consume me, that I could be leading innocent men who believed in my call to slaughter. I needed a leader, but where could I get one? The third night out, I wandered over to where Baldwin and his men were being held. The Duke glared at me belligerently. I merely shook my head and laughed. I knelt beside his Shatlian, Daniel Gooey. He was handsome and held himself with a strong bearing. He had never complained of being a captive, unlike Baldwin, who spat curses and threats at anyone who met his eye. I had heard other good things about him. I have a dilemma, I said as I sat on the ground next to him. I looked Daniel Gooey in the eye, man to man. You have a dilemma? The Shatlian laughed, showing me his bonds. Mine first, I smiled. I am at the head of an army, but I know little of how to fight a great battle. Is this a riddle, Jester? If it is, let me play. I know how to fight, yet my army is disarmed and scattered. I offered him a sip of ale. It seems we're aligned yet opposite, but you command the Duke's forces. I command Triel's forces, he replied firmly. My job was to lead them in defense of my city, not slaughter innocent subjects that our lordship did not trust. Triel is Baldwin, though. You try and separate them, but you cannot. My dilemma, the Shatlian smiled. He showed me his wrists, by which I am now unfortunately bound. I need a general, Shatlian. If we march on Bore, we will not overcome it with sleight of hand. He took another sip of ale, seemed to think this over. What do I get if I help you take this city? I smiled. Mostly a lot of trouble with your old boss. Daniel grinned. I'm not exactly sure I can return to that job now anyway. Indeed, Baldwin would already be savoring the taste of someone to blame. Only a chance, I answered. The same chance any of us have. To sue for peace and go back and live our lives as a free man. There's an irony here somewhere, the Shatlian chuckled. So far, you have taken my castle and put my liege in chains. You don't seem too bad a soldier for a man in a checkerboard suit. I was at Antioch and Civita, I said, in the crusade. The Shadlin nodded in a deep and acknowledging way. So, will you help us? I know it'll mean breaking your pledge to Baldwin, and your career may not be brighter for it. Yet, we're not such a bad bunch for heretics and rebels and fools. Daniel took in a deep breath and smiled. I think I'll fit in just fine. Chapter 128 We came out of the forest the next day facing a river. A truly terrifying sight stood before us. On the high ground, directly in our path, waited an ominous horde of warriors, maybe 300 of them. They wore no colors, just rough skins and high boots, swords and shields gleaming in the noonday sun. They were long-haired and filthy, 
and regarded us with no particular alarm. They looked ready for a fight. Panic shot through our troops and through me as well. The ferocious looking horde just stood there, watching us assemble out of the trees. As though battle was an ordinary thing for them. Horns blew. Horses whinnied. A few carts toppled over. At any moment, I expected them to charge. I ordered our column to a halt. The rabble ahead of us looked restless. Shit, had I led us into a trap? Otto and Daniel ran up to me. I had never seen Otto this scared. They growl like Saxons, Otto muttered. These ugly bastards are meaner than shit. I heard they live in caves and when food is scarce, they eat their young. They are not Saxon, Daniel shook his head. They're from Langadol, from the south, mountain men. But they're known to eat their young even when the harvest is good. His depiction gave me chills. Are they from Stephen? I asked. Could be, he shrugged. We watched them watching us, showing no concern about our larger ranks. Mercenaries. He has used them before. Have the men fan along the ravine, I said. I hope to make a show of strength. This threat had come upon us so suddenly. Lances to the front in case they charge. Keep the horses in reserve, Daniel said. If these bastards come at us, they'll do so on foot. To a Langadocian, it's a sign of cowardice not to. Everyone rushed into formation. Then we stood there, hearts tense, holding our shields. The field was silent. Seems a good enough day to meet my maker, Odo strapped on his mallet. If you're still listening, God. All of a sudden, there was movement in the Langadocian camp. Get ready. I gripped my lance. Then two riders rode out from the pack and galloped towards us. They wish to talk, Daniel said. I'll go, I said. Here. I turned to Odo. Hold the lance. I'll go with you, Daniel said. Daniel and I rode out between the armies. The two Langadocians sat there indifferently, eyeing us as we came up to them. One was large and stout, built like an ox. The other was leaner, but just as mean looking. For a moment, no one spoke. We just regarded one another, circling. Finally, the ox grunted a few words in a French I could barely make out. You are the jester, Hugh? The one with the lance? I am, I replied. You're the little fart who's led the peasants and bondsmen against their lords? The other growled. We've risen up in the face of murder and oppression, I replied. Ox snickered. You don't look so big. We were told you were eight fucking feet tall. If we have to fight, it'll seem that, I said. The Langadocians looked me up and down in a way I could not read. Then they looked at each other and started to laugh. Fight you, the big one chortled. We've come to join you, fool. Word reached us though you intended to march on Triel. We're sworn enemies of that prick Baldwin. We've been enemies of Triel for 200 years. I looked at Daniel and we broke into grins. This is good news, but you're too late. Triel is already taken. We're marching on Bore. Bore, the thinner one said. You mean against that prick Stephen? I nodded. The same. For a moment, the two Langadocians drew their horses close and huddled together. I could hardly understand the tongue they were speaking in. Then Ox looked back to me and shrugged. All right, we march on Bore. He raised his sword to his ranks and they erupted, lifting their swords and spears in a riotous cheer. 
You're lucky, Ox grinned through his beard. We've been enemies Bore for 300 years. Chapter 129 Stephen was in his dressing room when Anne stormed in and found him, in a chair, peeling an apple. Annabella, a lady of the court, was bent over his waist, swallowing his cock. At the sight of Anne, Annabella gagged. She jumped, frantically replacing Stephen's leggings as if to hide the evidence. Stephen looked on, seeming not to care. Oh, do not bother, Annabella, Anne sighed. When the Lord hears what news I bear, we shall all be amused to see to what side his manhood shrinks. The lady smoothed her ruffled tresses, curtsied, then scurried out the room. These are my private quarters, not your parlor, Stephen said, hitching himself up. And do not feign offense, dear wife, since you obviously knew what business you would find here. I do not feign offense, Anne eyed him sharply, only regret to interrupt you from such pressing work. So, Stephen rose, by all means, let me know. What's the big surprise? A runner has arrived from Sardinay. He brought word that your little jester's on his way. Two days out, with his lance. This is the news you thought would disarm me? Stephen seemed to yawn, taking another deep bite from his apple. That this poor fool marches on us? Why should this mean any more to me than a bite of this fruit, I say? But, come, he said, eyeing the bulge in his hose. As long as the table is set, why not put the little weasel to some work? Anne crept behind him and smoothed her hands across his chest. Even though the pretense of such affection was as repulsive to her as kissing a snake. She bent down to his ear and whispered, It is not the fool that I thought would concern you, my husband. She rubbed her hand along his cock. But the thousand men who marched along with him. What? Stephen twisted around. He screwed up his face in disbelief. Oh, has the weasel crept back in his little cave? Anne laughed. Yes, my liege. Apparently an army follows him that is even greater than before. An army of lost souls heretics thanks to you and thanks to Baldwin fully armed Stephen jumped out of his seat hot with rage impossible they damn their souls to follow him no husband it is your soul that's damned get out of my way Stephen shot out his hand it slashed across Anne's face knocking her to the floor if you have any hope for that little brat you call your cousin you will mock me no more if you harm her, Stephen, Anne forced herself up to her palms. Stephen burned his gaze right through her. He moved as if to strike again. She did not flinch. Then the color came back into his face, and he softened and knelt, cupping her quivering face in the palm of his hand. Why would I want to hurt her, my precious wife? She's a part of you. He raised himself, smoothing his tunic, the veins in his forehead now calm. I have merely detained her for her own protection. There are dangerous conspirators about who planned this harm, even within these very walls. Haven't you heard? I mean... Chapter 130 Look, men began to point. Up on the hill, there it is, Bore. Above the rolling hills of vineyards and farms, its limestone towers rose with roofs of blue, like lapis etched into the sky. There was a facade of the famous cathedral, gleaming white, and the castle I had stayed in, its dungeons reaching to the sky, where Emily was. As we neared, the exhilaration spread. I'm going to take Stephen in one arm and his largest hen in the other and squeeze him until they both lay a fucking egg, a boastful farmer yelled. 
Behind me, my new army stretched for nearly a mile. In every row, men marched in different clothing, tailors, woodsmen, and farmers in their own garb, but with thrown together mail and helmets they had swiped from Baldwin. They carried pennants from their towns, pikes and clubs and bows on their back. Some even spoke different dialects. The vast line included men and horses, carts drawn by heavy oxen, and catapults, mongenelles, and trebuchets with their loads of heavy stone. All beat a cloud of dust that seemed to smother the sky. But the giddy boasts and dares began to fade the closer we got to Bore. This was no ant's nest in the middle of nowhere with a pompous duke who did not want to dirty his hands with combat. This was a city, the largest many of us had ever seen. We had to take this place. It was protected by rings of walls, each man with archers and artillery. Its reserve of knights was twice our number, many of them emboldened by bloody victories in the crusade. The closer we got, the higher the walls loomed over us. I knew the same reality drummed through every soul. Many of us would die here. All around, farms close to the city were shuttered and abandoned, livestock nowhere to be seen. Plumes of smoke trickled into the sky from bales of hay and grain carts set afire. Stephen was giving us no sustenance or quarter. He was preparing for a siege. People we passed did not cheer us as that triel. They spat at us or averted their eyes. Go home, rebels, heretics, you're God's curse. Look what you brought on us, a woman wailed, scavenging for food. Go on, your welcoming committee lies just ahead. Welcoming committee? What does she mean by that? As we neared the city, men at the front pointed to what seemed like a row of crosses lying the road. A few ran ahead. As they did, their faces lost some color. A silence came over the ranks, which only moments before had been boasting of what they would do when they reached Bore. The welcoming committee. These were not crosses, but bodies. Some still alive, muttering, moving their limbs feebly, impelled on long shafts that split their torsos. Some through the anus, others, even worse, upside down. Men, young and old, farmers, tradesmen in common garb, women too, stripped naked like whores, moaning, choking for breath, eyes glazed over in agony. There was a row of thirty of them. Get them down, I shouted. My heart sank as that civito, or riding into the damn village of St. Cecile. What had these poor people done? I rode by, barely able to look. Then I stopped at one of the bodies. My blood came to a halt. My eyes actually rolled back in my head. It was Elena, Emily's maidservant. I jumped off my horse and with my sword started to hack at the stake until it sheared, and then I gently eased her down. I lifted Elena's head in my hands and stared at her chafed white face, peeking through tufts of bloody hair. She was in torn, soiled rags, desecrated like some shameless murderess. All the poor soul had done was serve her lady. Anger dug into my ribs, sharp as a knife. If this was Elena, what had happened to Emily? What kind of warning was this monster giving me? A breath stuck in my chest. I turned to the man behind me. Bury her as well. Chapter 131 Further ahead, we came to a fieldstone bridge that crossed the river along the outskirts of the city. It was guarded by a stone tower. 
I drew the ranks to a halt about 60 yards away. Three or four of Stephen's knights were waiting there, mounted on horseback, draped in their lordships green and gold colors. The first sign of the enemy. They began to taunt us, questioning the size of our balls. You call this rabble an army? One yelled. He lifted his leg as a dog pees. It's a bunch of peasants who wouldn't know a fight from a good fart. They are only trying to bait us into something stupid, Daniel cautioned. Stay your ground. They will fall back as soon as we advance. A few of the men, fueled by the horrific sight they had just seen, ignored him and ran towards the taunting soldiers, ready to do battle with their clubs and swords. When they were about 20 feet away, archers appeared in the tower armed with crossbows. They sent a volley of arrows whooshing down. Four men dropped immediately, clutching at their chests. The rest peeled back out of range. Behind me, I heard Alphonse yell out, They want their fight? They'll... Get it! No, I called. We can't lose more. But against my futile shout, he took off. He and his group ran bravely towards the tower. Arrows hissed down on them, thudding into their shields. Another man fell, struck in the thigh. Our own archers loaded and sent the reply of fire arrows towards the tower. Now our men were pinned, huddled under their wooden shields. I saw Alphonse run out and pull one wounded man out of range. Then one of our arrows struck the wooden roof of the guard tower. Chaos broke out amongst the archers as the flame caught. Our ranks began to cheer. For a second, the enemy archers disappeared. Then we caught sight of them on the ground, scampering back with their heavy bows towards the city walls. Our men set after them, Alphonse leading. First, they were met by knights on horseback who fought bravely, but soon there were too many of us to fight. Stephen's knights were pulled down from their mounts, their bodies bludgeoned with swords and clubs. Several of us went after the retreating archers, overtaking them in a gully by the river. One knelt, ready to fire into the back of one of our men, but Alphonse leapt and clubbed him into a heap. To a man, the archers were hacked to bits. A chorus of cheers rose in our ranks. Our party of rescuers returned, dragging the wounded and dead, raising aloft captured crossbows. It was our first engagement, and we had shown Stephen we were here to fight. Alphonse passed me, tossing a captured crossbow into a supply cart. Though I was relieved to see him safe and held back reproaching him for his recklessness, he could see I was angry. Four of our men lay dead. He shot me a contrite wink. Wouldn't know a fight from a good fart, eh? Chapter 132 Emily pulled her covers up to warm herself in the dark, drafty tower room that had been her cell over the past days. The narrow slit of a window high up on the wall barely let in an angle of outside light. She was not sure if it was day or night. For the past few hours, she had heard the rumble outside of troops and heavy carts being dragged down to the walls. Something was happening. A flicker in her heart told her it had something to do with Hugh. A pitcher of drinking water and a plate of half-eaten food rested on the table by her side with a few of her books and embroideries. But she had no appetite and no mind to read or weave. Stephen was a dog, foaming with the madness of greed. All honor and law had been set aside to detain her. All reason, too. But it was fear for Hugh that gnawed at her, festered in her heart through the dark, isolated nights. Hugh. 
Stephen would not dare harm her, but he would see Hugh dead with the relish of a cruel child picking the wings off a fly. Now he prepared his army, his awful toffers, his archers, and his death-dealing machines of war. Do not come, she prayed, whispering herself back to sleep. Please, Hugh, do not come. But there was something different this day. There was a far-off rumble and a sharpness to the voices nearby. The tremor of large machines being wheeled into place. Battle machines. Emily threw the covers from her bed. She had to know what was going on. The commotion outside grew louder. Horses shouting, the constant hammering of wood. Preparations for war. Emily wrapped herself in her bedclothes and dragged the table beneath the high window. Then she hoisted a sitting bench and placed it on top of the table. As a child, she had played such games of King of the Hill with the boys. High above the floor, she balanced herself on the bench and raised herself up to her toes. Emily craned her neck to see over the lip of the narrow ledge. Below, on the inner walls of Bore, soldiers in pale helmets and green and gold tunics were bustling along the ramparts. Emily pushed herself even higher. What was beyond was a sight that stole away her breath. A vast gathering of men beyond the walls, as far as the eye could see. In peasant clothes, with weapons and oxen and mangonels. She felt her heart glow. An army of them. Stephen's edict be damned. She began to laugh. She could not help herself. It was as if everyone who would ever march alongside Hugh were here. Every peasant in the forest. Then something else caught her eye. She raised herself up on her toes as high as she could. Yes, standing apart from the troops ahead of fiery red hair. Could it be? Her heart almost exploded. She wanted to scream at the top of her lungs, but she knew he was too far away and could not possibly hear her. She waved and shouted and whooped anyway. She heard herself giggling uncontrollably. Standing there, in the very tunic she had sewn for him herself, facing Bore as if he knew precisely where she was, she saw Hugh. Chapter 133 the following morning, we pushed our siege engines forward under the watchful eyes of Stephen's men. Mangonels, their baskets stretched, followed by wheeled carts filled with giant stones, massive rams hewn from tree trunks and ladders stacked in piles. We began the construction of wooden towers as tall as the outer walls, as well as smaller platforms called cats, covered in moist, bloody hides to protect our charging ranks from the rain of burning pitch. I was in Daniel's tent running through the siege plans, when a shouting was heard outside. I rushed out and saw that everyone was running for their weapons and pointing towards the city gates. The drawbridge was lowering. This was it. At any moment, I was certain, a formation of green and gold-clad knights would come swinging out. As the portcullis opened, two priests clad in sacramental robes slowly rode out under the banner of the church. After a pause, Bertrand Moraz, Stephen Shadowland followed, and behind him, as if his presence alone would cause the field to kneel, a noble in full battle gear on a white charger. Stephen himself. Chapter 134 He wished to talk, Daniel said. He hides behind the priests as a flag of truce. He wished to trap you more like it, Odo said. You'd be a fool. I couldn't wait to put my vengeful eyes on the bastard. Don't forget... I put on my cap. I am a fool. I rushed to the front, found my horse, and called for Father Leo. 
Come, here's your chance of being equal to the highest priest in Bore. We fetched him a horse. And Daniel, I slapped him, want a chance to see a duke piss in his pants? We mounted our horses and rode halfway out into the rutted no-man's land separating our camp from Bore. Stephen waited for us to reach a spot. Then, gauging his distance from our archers, he trotted his own entourage to meet me. My blood was racing just to see this reptile. His look sent chills through me. He wore no helmet. His jet black hair hung long and greasy. His elaborate chainmail had his dragon crest displayed on the chest. His hands were covered in studded gauntlets, and a heavy sword, befitting a crusader, was strapped to his side. As he reached us, he did not stay his horse. He circled us, his gaze darting from my face to the lance. Then Stephen drew his mount to a halt. He smiled quite amiably. So, you are the deserting coward who rouses men against their lords in the name of heresy. And you are the prick, I said unheeding, who killed my wife and child. With all respect, I bowed to the priest. What a shame, then, Stephen said, if a similar fate befell another whom you prize. Fury tightened in my chest. If any harm comes to her, it'll take more than a delegation of priests to save you. Lady Emily returned here of her own will, out of loyalty and concern for her mistress. She has no conflict with you. And do you? Jester, rebel, heretic, how is it I should address you? Hugh, I said, fixing on his cold, superior eyes. I am Hugh DeLuke. My wife is Sophie. My son, who never saw a second year, was Philip. I'm sure all of us are delighted to hear your family tree, but what is it you want here, Hugh? What do I want? Part of me wanted to pull him off his mount right there and end this thing, just he and I. I directed my horse one step closer to him. I want your admission of the wrongs you have done. I want restitution paid for each man, woman, and child killed in pursuit of this. I put forward the lance. I want the Lady Emily sent to me at once. The Duke looked to his underlings, as if he were restraining a laugh. I heard he was entertaining, and now I think no less myself. You want a lord to be a mule keep. You parade behind a purported relic of the church, and yet you put the souls of a thousand followers at risk. These men are here of their own mind, I said. I doubt they would go home even upon my demand. Does the welfare of their immortal souls not matter to them? One of the priests inquired. I don't know. Let's see. I turned back towards my ranks. Go home. Lay down your arms, all of you. Fight's over. I have his word that the Duke promises to spare your souls. My words echoed across the field, but not a single person moved. I turned back to the priest. Shrugged. And what if I said the Lady Emily was here of her own mind too? Stephen snapped. That is her choice to stay, even upon my demand. Then I will call you a liar, Stephen, or a hopeless fool. Again, Jester, he said, yanking his horse, you waste precious time on jokes. You knew Shadowland will tell you. You were on the verge of a bloody bath. We are ready, my lord. This battle has your handprint on it, if it occurs, not mine. Stephen curled a smile. Just know that I will not be as lenient with you as was that codswipe, Baldwin. You have seen the fate of certain villages and people who I thought had something I wanted.
Expect no less, Jester. I will see your heart burned out of your traitorous body. You will be hung upside down as heretics, all of you. Your insides left to soil your faces as they run to the ground. Even God will avert his eyes. Then what do you say, Daniel? I glanced at Gooey with a smile. We must make sure we fight this fight on the full stomach, so as not to disappoint. Stephen sniffed back and laughed. Then he ran his eyes over to Lance. You know, should I return with that? All I described could be avoided. You could have the little slut and ride off to the far corner of the earth for all I care. As for your men, I will see that we restore their souls. Most tempting, I replied, pretending to ponder his offer for a moment. Problem is, my men have not assembled here for Lady Emily, but for the simple purpose of seeing the offenses of your rule brought to justice. They are here to demand recompense for your crimes. To see you bow down, Lord, nothing less. Then I will give you the lance. That is my offer. In the meantime, with all respect to the bishop, we'll take our chances on our souls. I could simply take it, you know. My archers could cut you in half with just a nod. And mine too, my lord. Then God would have to decide. A tiny twitch trembled on Stephen's nose. You think I would trade the dignity of my name even for a vault of such lances? It should not be so hard, I said, holding it close to his face, since you traded most of it already just to be this close. Stephen reared his horse and smiled. I can see why the court grew fond of you. Get prepared, Jester. I will reply. Within an hour. He yanked his horse around and started to head towards the gate. Chapter 135 Our army waited just 200 yards from the towering walls of Bore in a broad and teeming line. Archers tensed their bows, fire arrows tipped in oil. Foot soldiers, some holding ladders like crosses, focused on the walls, on the line of silent green and gold defenders. A thousand men, cradling their weapons, muttering last prayers, awaited my sign. What are you thinking now? Odo asked. I took a breath. That Emily is in there. And you? That those are the biggest fucking walls I've ever seen? The smith shrugged. I fixed on the impressive main gate, waiting for Stephen's reply. Odo to my left, George's, Daniel, and Alphonse flanked to my right. The tension beat around like a drum of war. Stephen's defenders crowded the walls, crossbows tilted down at us. There were no taunts or curses rattling back and forth, only a heavy silence hanging like a fog between the two armies. In the distance, the chirp of birds could be heard. Any moment, the tense calm could be shattered like a club smashing through glass. Odo leaned close, clutching his enormous pike. One of the Languedocians told me a good one. You have the time to hear? I kept my eyes fixed on the gate, if I must. What's hairy underneath, stands tall and erect in the bed, has reddish skin, and is guaranteed to make even a nun cry out in tears. I looked down the line. Everyone was ready. I don't know. The big smith shook his head. Don't know? What kind of shit gesture are you? It's a wonder I keep putting my life in your hands. If you put it that way, I cocked my head his way. It's an onion. Odo groaned. Oh, you know that one. A trellis snickering flickered down the line. Then he elbowed me and grinned. That's my boy. 
All at once from behind the walls, the ping of a catapult releasing pierced the air and a black projectile shot high in the sky. Mummers rippled through the ranks, men pointing as the object descended towards our front line. Brace yourself. Here it comes, someone yelled. The projectile struck the ground and rolled to a stop only a few yards from where I stood. My stomach fell. The mound had features, hair charred and singed, startled, round eyes bulging out of their sockets. I let out a sickened cry. The face seemed to be staring at me. It had a grin that was both impish and impudent. The eyes spat back in their moment of death, familiar, unmistakable. Norbert. His eyes looked at me as if they had that first day when Emily brought me to his chamber. I almost expected him to wink. Had you fooled, didn't I, boy? That's the best you can do? Watch this. I rushed out of formation and knelt over the remains. My ears were filled with a deafening ringing. Countless images of things that had transpired since I first set out from home flashed before me. The ringing finally subsided. I raised the holy lance and, perhaps for the first time, I believed in it. I looked at my men, who in their readiness reminded me of horses unwilling to be held back. Your freedom lies within those walls. Now, I shouted. Now is the time. Then, the cry from my lungs was drowned by the stampede of a thousand men hurtling themselves to the walls of Bore. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. You can also leave a review on Podchaser and on Apple Podcasts and on the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you almost all the content, which is 130 pieces at this point in time. Um, you can also donate at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. And on the Good Pods app, you can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly do appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.